Welcome to Steadfast. Uh, for many of you, you used to be Bereans, uh, and we want you to continue to be a Berean as you check uh, against the scriptures what is being taught, uh, but we also want you to be steadfast in your, in your spiritual walk with God. The name uh, Steadfast was chosen because of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's up there on the uh, screen. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And you know, my prayer is uh, that Rod and Gary and myself will lead and shepherd each of you well. Uh, that our teaching would be a feeding to your souls, and our prayers for each of you would be felt deeply in your heart. Just know that you're loved and that uh, we are praying for you, as we always have done. Okay, let's get into the message for this morning, where I will do something that I've never, ever thought I would ever get the opportunity to do. I'm going to teach a whole message over one verse and here is the verse all right now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan and you say wait a minute wait a minute you told me we're gonna study the life of Joseph not Jacob we're gonna get there okay and in fact, we're going to do a character study of the life of a publicly favored and extravagantly pampered young boy named Joseph. He uh, had a beautiful coat that his father had given to him, and although I'm sure uh, he wore it well, it created much problems. And we're going to see more about that. This is a young man who God used as an instrument of good for the entire world at that time, including his own chosen people. And you say, what chosen people? God had a chosen people? Yeah, yeah he does. And it all starts with a man named Abram. And to help you understand the story of Joseph and how the character traits that he exhibited are so extraordinary, you know, relative to the circumstances that he came from. Please allow me a few minutes to take you back, and we're going to do an introduction to Joseph's ancestry. So that should be the first thing on your outline, an introduction to Joseph's ancestry. Joseph's ancestry, honestly, is not one that you would expect for God to forge together that would be in the direct lineage of his perfect son. You would say, why would he choose this family to be in the lineage of his perfect son, Jesus? You see, Joseph's ancestors were not the cream of the crop when it comes to integrity and honor. It's filled with liars it's filled with deceivers, cheaters, and those are some of the better ones. In fact, when I think about it, they were men and women just like you and I. They're flawed. They were sinful. They had all kinds of warts and issues in their lives. For we all have fallen short of what? The glory of God. And... The wages of our sins are what? Death. It's not looking good so far, is it? All right. Well, maybe as we do a review of Joseph's family tree, we'll see what's in his background that affected Joseph. So as we discuss his ancestry, please understand where I'm going with this. What I want to do today is I want to portray this man against his family. I want to put a contrast between what he grew up with, who the people were that were, you know, the leaders in his uh, generation, his whole family. And we're going to study uh, that he was placed on the earth for a very divine mission. 
a fulfillment of prophecy told to Abram. And you say, well, wait a minute. Who is this Abram you keep mentioning? Well, he is Joseph's great-grandfather. That's who Abram is, okay? And he was the one that God selected to produce a chosen people for himself. Look with me. Open your Bible to Genesis 12, and we're going to move through some scriptures here uh, in Genesis. Genesis 12, let's start in 1, read 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Then look in Genesis 15. Slide over a couple chapters to Genesis 15 where God makes a promise to Abram. Turn with me there and let's look at this promise. Genesis 15 starting in verse 13. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Okay, so we know who Abram is, and I'm probably not telling you anything new uh, that you don't know, so it's really kind of a refresher, but it helps set the tone for who Joseph is. And we know about the promise made to him, but what about this part where his descendants will live in a foreign land, a land not their own? Well, how do they get there? They get there through a young man named Joseph. A young man who has a big family and he lives the good life. And by the way, he has a beautiful multicolor coat as well. And he is his daddy's favorite child. Well, you say that's not good. And you said that Joseph's ancestors were not righteous people, so how does that all fit into the story? I just want you to see the order of magnitude of contrast in the character as we go and look at some of his family and then look at him. And we're going to study him for months, and you'll be able to see his, contra I mean, his characters really show uh, at that time, but I'm going to give you kind of a snippet of it today. So let's first look at a review of Joseph's family life. You, you may know uh, many people will say today that a person and their behavior is a product of their ancestry's DNA or their circumstances, you know, they're, they're shaped by who raised them, what family they were in, and then uh, the circumstances that they experienced. In fact, many years ago, in 1874, there was a famous study done, and you can look it up and read all about it. And the study was done to see if this hypothesis was true. It's called the Edwards Jukes study. It compared the family of Jonathan Edwards, who was an 18th century preacher, and Max Jukes, J-U-K-E-S, who was an atheist, who believed in the abolition of all rules and laws. He just believed that we should live however we choose to live. The results of that study, they did five generations looking at what happened to those people after these two men 
Let me show you how it turned out. You can see on one side you got Jonathan Edwards. And out of his family tree came vice presidents, senators, lawyers, pastors, doctors, military officers, college presidents. And you look on the other side at the contrast and you see people who died as paupers, criminals, murderers, drunks, prostitutes. It was quite the contrast. You know who did this study? The New York Bureau of Prisons, because they kept seeing people showing up in their records related to this guy. And one guy, out of curiosity, said, let's look at someone that we really have a respect for. And they looked at Jonathan Edwards. So, could Joseph's ancestry pool be this bad? Let's quickly review some of his ancestors' finer moments. This is Terah. Now, Terah is the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And you can see Abraham married Sarah, Isaac married Rebekah, and then Jacob married Leah and Rachel. And so you got this... I don't want to say incest, but you got this family dynamic going on where cousins are getting married here. And so it starts with that kind of thing. His great-grandfather Abraham, in a very cowardly fashion, to protect himself from harm, lied that his wife Sarah was his sister. Do you remember that? He did it not once. He... Uh, he he did it with Pharaoh of Egypt in Genesis 12. And then again, he did it with King uh, uh, Abimelech in Genesis 20. And God even has to get involved here to make sure that something doesn't happen to mess things up. Way to go, Abram. Just kind of throw Sarah under the bus here to protect yourself is basically what took place. Feels like when Rod does that to me. You know. <laughs> now, in, in Genesis 26, we read of how Abram's son, Isaac, now this is Joseph's grandfather, he handles a situation similar with his own wife. Does the same thing with Rebecca. He lies, tells her that... It's not my wife, this is my sister. Like father, like son. The, the family is a family of liars. Surely Joseph's father, surely his father, maybe not his grandfather, his great-grandfather, but surely his father will be a good example for Joseph. Well, don't hold your breath. Let's look at a review of Joseph's father. And here's where we get to that one verse I told you. Genesis 37.1, where it mentions Jacob. Jacob, or Israel, as he is later named by God, he had many bad traits, which we're going to discuss. But the one that affected his son Joseph the most was his favoritism toward Joseph. But that's not too bad, is it, to have favorites? Everyone has favorites, right? You know, you have your favorite meal, favorite ice cream, favorite restaurant, favorite pastime, favorite color, favorite clothes, favorite seasons of the year, favorite vacation spots. And all of these favorites are really harmless. But when you begin to have favorite people, then it gets a little more interesting. Oh yeah, it's okay to have favorite actors or actresses, favorite authors, favorite news announcers, favorite sports players. That's okay. Those are people. But when you get into having favorite family members, it can get serious, very serious. Rod, you got a whole quiver of children. Which one is your favorite? 
depends it depends on the day you remember Julie Andrews in the in the sound of music remember that raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens bright copper copper kettles and warm woolen mittens brown paper packages tied up with strings these are a few of my favorite things but for Jacob, it ends like this. When Laban cheats me, when Esau threatens me, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite son, and then I don't feel so bad. Thank you. No charge. You see, this is probably how Jacob felt. When he was feeling sad, he just remembered Joseph. And then he didn't feel so bad. But there's more to Jacob than his favoritism. So let's just talk about him for a minute. This is Joseph's father. This is the one that he lived with, that he observed. This is his mentor. Okay? Let's talk about Jacob just for a minute. You do remember that Jacob was a twin, right? His twin brother is named Esau. You remember him? Okay. When Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, gave birth to the twins, who came out first? Esau came out first. And then came Jacob. And it says in Genesis 25, 26, that when Jacob came out, he came out holding on to Esau's heel. In other words, he kind of got a pull uh, out of the, the womb. And Rebekah and Isaac named him Jacob. Do you know what Jacob means? It means deceiver. It means chiseler. How would you like to have that name? Sorry, Jacob. As he grows up, the name just so aptly fits him. I, you know, Isaac actually favored Esau. He, he liked that he hunted and he was a strong and hairy man. There you go, Will. And uh, I won't go there. But Rebecca loved Jacob to the point that it began to create problems. You see, favoritism within this family would cause great grief for them. And it filters down to Jacob as well. Jacob deceived his brother out of his birthright, you'll remember that, for a bowl of lentil stew. Then he deceives his nearly blind father. By the way, the idea of that came from his mother. And she helps him. She's the one that cooks the food for him. He couldn't cook a pot of hot water soup. And so she provides the impetus for that. And he goes in to his father and he deceives his father out of the blessing of the eldest son, of which he is not the eldest son. It's a tragic story of Jacob and his mother scheming to deceive his father. Turn with me to Genesis 27. I want to read verses 30 through 37. Genesis 27, 30. 27, starting in verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said, Who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, 
Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and I blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I relatives I have given to him as servants and with grain and new wine I have sustained him now as for you then what can I do my son this is Joseph's father folks but it gets worse as Jacob is now hated by Esau, his mother sends him away to live with Jacob's uncle Laban. You remember the story. There he would find <clears throat> excuse me, there he would find a woman that truly stirred his troubled heart. Her name is Rachel, and he agreed with Laban to work seven years to have Rachel as his wife but uncle Laban is a cheat and a schemer himself isn't he and he deceives the deceiver Jacob and on the wedding night he delivers his oldest daughter Leah to Jacob not Rachel well you know the story Jacob works seven more years and then he marries Rachel, and after the birth of many sons to Jacob through several women, Rod will clear this up for you next week, then much later Jacob deceitfully leaves in the middle of the night. He leaves his, uh, his uh, uncle, his children's grandfather, Folks, this is a family that is a total mess. And by this time, Jacob is the father of 11 sons and one daughter. Our study subject that we're going to study is Joseph. He's the 11th son. And he comes from Jacob's beloved Rachel. And then Rachel conceives again, but she dies during childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother. So Jacob is the father of 12 sons. Count them, 12. You know, if I were God and decided to start a nation to be my own people, I can promise you this is not the family I would have chosen. This is not the man that I would have chosen. And I, you would probably agree with me. But you know, we're not God. We think differently from God. Amazing. This man whose very name means deceiver is the one that God chose to father 12 sons and create the nation of Israel. This is the ancestry that Joseph comes through. So now let's look at Joseph's background, some illustrations of his background. You know, God in his perfect wisdom is preparing Joseph all along his early life for this mission. Have you ever thought about that, that God was training you now for things that will happen later in your life? And he may have been training, I don't say may, he was. He's training you from the very young age for those kind of things that he would have for you to do God would choose this young man out of the midst of one of the most dysfunctional families ever known and he would through life experiences prepare his little heart for the times of mistreatment hatred 
temptations, betrayals, and just general hardship that Joseph must endure to complete his mission. I must admit that Joseph is probably my favorite character in the Old Testament because I admire so many of the characteristics that he exhibited while going through life. And life was not easy for him. And I think before our study is over, you'll come to appreciate many of those characteristics as well. So let's look at some of the aspects of his early life that molded this young boy into the man that God used for great purposes. Let's look at his early life as a baby. Now, Joseph was born to Rachel, as recorded, sometime while they were still living with Uncle Laban, who was Joseph's maternal grandfather. The story unfolds in the midst of anger and jealousy and barren wombs. Look with me at Genesis 30. Genesis 30, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? You know, Joseph, as I said here, is the eleventh son of Jacob. You can see him here. Now, I don't want to steal any Rod's thunder for next week, but I just want you to focus in on uh, Joseph here. You can see he's the eleventh there. And they come from various different women. So uh, the others, like I said, will be discussed in more detail next week. It better be good, Rod, since I'm hyping it up so much. Yeah. <laughs> but what we read in Genesis 30, 22 to 24, if you're not there, slip down, run, run your finger down in verse, chapter 30 to verse 22. It says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Verse 24, she named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Think about this for a minute. This is recorded in Scripture. I didn't make this up. Joseph was born, and before he's minutes old, we read in verse 24, Rachel was already looking past him to the next one. Think about that. So sad. She had been barren all these years, and yet when God opens her womb and gives her a son, she is not satisfied with that. She's so envious of her sister Leah. You know, in fact, I wonder what kind of love Joseph felt from this discontented mother. You see, from his earliest years, God was preparing Joseph for rejection and disappointment. Folks, I want to make a something that hit my heart hard this year. Prepare your children. If you have children, prepare your children for disappointment in life. I don't mean to lavish on them the woes of the world. I'm not talking about that. But don't let your children think that the world's going to bow at their every whim. It's wonderful to win, yes. But it's emotional healthy to learn how to lose. To learn how to be rejected sometimes. To learn how to not get something that you wanted. God is preparing Joseph for the life that he's going to put him through. Now, let's look at Joseph's early life as a child. We're not exactly sure how old it was when his father Jacob made the big announcement 
that they were secretly leaving and heading back to Canaan. You know, you can only imagine as they flee in the middle of the night, little Joseph, he's probably six or seven, and he could probably understand much of what was going on. So when they loaded him and his mother on, on a camel one very dark evening, he must have thought, why, why are we leaving the only place I've ever known? Joseph must have wondered why he didn't get to kiss Grandpa goodbye. Why didn't he have a party to send them off? You know, many thoughts go through kids' minds that we as adults may not pick up on. Children at that age, more than anything else, they want security and they want stability of situation. They love parameters. You know, Joseph may have even asked Rachel or Jacob, does Grandpa not love us anymore? Why, is that why we're leaving in the middle of the night? You know, he probably even stood at the tent one night when Laban caught up with him. And he overheard this showdown between Laban and Jacob. It's in Genesis 31, 26 and through 28. Verse 26 reads, Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and you did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs and with timbrel and with lyre? And I... And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. Joseph probably hears his grandfather verbally chastise his father. And he realizes at that point that, you know, parents don't always act righteously either. But Joseph got his wish. As is recorded in verse 55, which reads, Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and he blessed them. You know, to our knowledge, this is the last time Joseph would ever see his grandfather. Can't you imagine that Laban gave those boys a really big hug? And maybe an extra sweet hug and kiss for little Joseph. Tough times for a kid. Let's talk about Joseph's early life as an adolescent. This is where we see Joseph's life change so dramatically. These were his formative years from maybe age 8 and 9 till. 17, because we really don't get introduced to Joseph until he's 17 years old. You do realize that, don't you? And at 17, he's an arrogant and prideful teenager. These were difficult times for Jacob's family. You know, it started when his one daughter, Dinah, was raped by a Hivite by the name of Shechem. And then Joseph's older brothers, Simeon and Levi, deceitfully get these guys in that village into a position where they could slaughter them. They slaughtered the whole Hivite clan under false pretenses. And Jacob had to quickly move his family. You know, at that point in time, Joseph, little Joseph, was introduced to death, to revenge, to murder, to deceit, and to hatred as this event unfolded. He probably at that point in time realized what his brothers were really capable of. God was preparing Joseph to deal 
with the harsh realities of life. These were also the years when Joseph's brothers, <clears throat> Joseph's one brother would be born at a tragic time for Jacob and Joseph as their precious mother and wife Rachel would die during childbirth. You know, during that time, God revealed to Joseph the terrible loss of family and the terrible loss of his precious mother. And that's probably what prompted his father Jacob to become intensely protective of Rachel's two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. This is also the beginning of when Joseph's aging father would show great favoritism to his favored and most loved son, Joseph. Joseph's early teenage years were filled with a contrasting joy, the birth of a little baby brother, and then sorrow, the death of his mother. So he probably enjoyed a close relationship and the fatherly attention that Jacob showered him, and he probably got away with murder, so to speak. He was that kid that mom and dad would not dare chastise because they loved him so much. He was the kid that you didn't want to be in school with because he was a terror. This extreme favoritism shown by Jacob was all part of God's plan to get Joseph into a position to enact the mission that God had put in his plan. God is looking so far down the road, hundreds of years down the road, and he's orchestrating every step. I'm going to put Joseph here. I'm going to make his brothers jealous of him. I'm going to have them threaten to kill him. And the story goes on. God's orchestra. Do not take for a minute, folks, that this happened by chance. This is all within the divine plan of God. And you know, <clears throat> thinking of that planned work leads me to recall the verse that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which what? Which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in. This is what's happening with Joseph. God had a plan in time past for Joseph. And he's preparing him for it. He's orchestrating all the circumstances for this young man to be able to walk in this path. And folks, I promise you today that if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, then God is working in your individual life this moment to have you walk the path that he would have you walk and do the good works that he planned that you would do many, many ages ago, back in eternity past. Joseph is no different. He's headed on a great journey, and God is preparing him to handle all that this ungodly world is going to throw at him. So, Let's discuss the incredible examples of Joseph's character. You see, God in his perfect wisdom would prepare Joseph all along his early life for the mission that he planned for this young man. And God's plan was proven true in Joseph's life. So let's look at three different characteristics of Joseph. First is Joseph and his family. When we go through this study for about the next uh, nine months, you're going to read and understand that Joseph loved his family. He loved his father, even though his father is the one who created this whole mess by being overtly and demonstratively biased toward him at the expense of his brothers. Joseph loved his brothers, even though they hated him abused him, mistreated him, threatened to kill him. They ended up selling him like he's a piece of 
property or an animal. But he loved them. And we'll see that in this story played out. He loved his little brother, Benjamin. And that shows when he even, Joseph even exhibits his own little inkling of favoritism to Benjamin when Benjamin gets five times the portion of food. Now, if you know, you know. If you don't, you're going to have to wait to chapter 43. Okay. And all of this love led to Joseph saving his family from starvation. And in the midst of his actions, Joseph even fulfills God's promise to Abraham. From Genesis 15 that we read earlier, when he will bring the nation of Israel into Egypt. Isn't it amazing how God orchestrates things so well? You know, I was watching Seth today as he was uh, orchestrating everything, and he's pointing, and he's doing this, and he's doing all these hand motions that somebody on that stage understands. I'm clueless. I thought he was doing sign language most of the time. But that's the way our God is. He is orchestrating things perfectly. And that's how they're going to get to Egypt that God promised Abraham hundreds of years before that they were going to get there. Yes, Joseph was a family man, but he was also a man of forgiveness. Joseph showed great ability to not hold a grudge. How are, how are y'all doing on that? How am I doing on that? You know, it's not easy, is it? Joseph did not hold a grudge, even in the midst of severe trial. He's truly a man of forgiveness. Would you have forgiven your family for what they did if you were him? I doubt it. I wouldn't have. You know, Joseph probably even forgave Potiphar that we'll talk about later and forgave Potiphar's wife that we'll talk about later. He probably forgave the jail keepers that we'll talk about later. And we know from Genesis 50, 20 that Joseph even forgave his brothers. As for you, Joseph speaks to his brothers. As for you... You meant evil against me. I know what you meant. You meant it for harm. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. See how good God is? And why would Joseph do that in the midst of all that he's been through? Because he knew in his heart that God was using it for His glory and for Joseph's good. And that's where we see Joseph and faith. If Joseph was a man characterized by love for family and a man characterized by forgiveness, the most important thing he was was a man of faith. Joseph was a scared young man in his early days of being in a, foreign, uh, in a foreign land. In a land where he didn't understand the language. You ever been in a place where you didn't understand the language of what was going on? Debbie and I have sat through sermons in Arabic. We don't have a clue what they're saying. I can't imagine that. Yet Joseph's faith in God gave him strength, gave him courage, gave him hope, and the Lord was right there with him. Genesis 39.2 reads this, The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And in 39.21 it reads this, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. You see, Joseph had faith in a God who loved him and protected him and prepared him 
for his mission in life. And don't mistake this, folks. I don't want you to miss this part. Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, God gave Joseph faith and he drew Joseph to himself first before Joseph ever displayed any faithful behavior and duties toward God. Don't ever think that it's your faith. As the great 19th century British evangelist George Mueller said, and I quote, It is true that the faith which I am able to exercise is God's own gift. He alone supports it, and He alone can increase it. Moment by moment, I depend on Him for it. If I were left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. Remember that. If you don't get anything else out of this lesson, remember your faith comes as a gift from God. It's not of your own doing. And Joseph did display great faith as seen in his encounter with Potiphar's wife, his in time in Pharaoh's prison, and his explaining Pharaoh's dream to him. Joseph's story is a display of faith in the face of a worldly persecution, a severe temptation, and unjustified punishment. Yet he never wavered in his faith for his good and gracious Heavenly Father. So what's the application to our lives today? Folks, envy is a sin, and it can lead to destructive behavior. Each of Jacob's wives were envious of the other. Laban was envious of Jacob's blessings and riches. In fact, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when the serpent opened their eyes by informing them that they too could be like God and no good from evil. They envied what God had and they didn't. Do you envy anything or anyone? Go ahead, take a minute, think about that. Do you envy someone else's wealth or their looks? Is it someone else's well-behaved or successful children? Is it someone else's position or fame or success? Do you envy? Because if you do, then Satan is smiling right now. He has brought you down to his level of thinking. Satan envies God and everything about God. Folks, favoritism fosters envy in others like nothing else. Especially when you show that favoritism in your treatment of your own family members. But know this, and know this for certain, God is not partial to anyone. Peter said that exact thing in Acts 10.34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to God. The Apostle Paul said God is not partial in Romans 2.11, in Galatians 2.6, Ephesians 6.9, and Colossians 3.25. Beloved steadfasters, God is not partial. He shows no favoritism among his children. And neither should you and me, and yet Joseph's entire family was a story of favoritism and deceit and envy. So why, oh why, was Joseph not like that? The answer is because Joseph always cared more about pleasing God 
than he cared about pleasing anyone else. Because he was given the faith by God to live a life that would honor his heavenly Father. You remember what he says to Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39? He says this, It came about after these events that his master's wife looked at him with desire, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Think about it. Does it mean more to you that God is satisfied with you and your behavior and your thoughts and your actions? Or are you more concerned about the people around you? Joseph was concerned about his relationship with God and not people. And he had the faith that God would be with him, that he would take care of him, and that God's plan was better than any plan he could come up with. So the application to our life today is trusting God through the good and bad is a character trait that only God can bestow. It's called faith. Therefore, I pray that God would grant it to you in great measure. Let's pray. Lord, you are so gracious and loving. You're so infinitely wise. Lord, we worship you. And we thank you for the blessed lives that you've given us. For the faith that you put in our hearts that we might live lives that bring honor and glory to you. Thank you for this study of Joseph. And may it just convict our hearts to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that you've given us. You called Joseph out of a family that is so, so far from what righteousness means. Yet you called him out of that family and did wonderful things through him by the faith you instilled in his heart. May you do that with us as we study this young man. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.